Hey guys, just a quick note before we begin that the show may contain spoilers and adult language, but that's just because we know how to have a good time. Stick around, you'll be glad you did. You are here for me to enlighten you. You ever act like this again, you're barred for life. It's just violent bass. It's kind of embarrassing. If you know you're lying, then you can forget them. Oh, I get it. It's very clever. <laughs> Hello, peoples, and welcome to Esoterica Cinema, the podcast where we take films from the cinematic multiverse and discuss the hell out of them. My name is Jason Peters, and with me today is the man who once went on a cocaine-fueled bender across state lines and woke up married to Nicolas Cage, Mr. Ryan Siebold! What's up, Jason? You mean Ryan Cage? I took his (laughs) surname, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) What does that make you, by the way, for him? Because he's been he's been through a number of people. You're like what, five, six? It it makes me a millionaire. He wants to be a millionaire. (laughs) I got a nice little uh, nice little shrine waiting for me in uh, New Orleans to get buried next to him. It's going to be good. (laughs) Excellent. Well, and the funny thing too is, I mean, like uh, I checked the court records, your guys's marriage lasted 47 days, which by Hollywood standards is considered a record. So congratulations. Hey, thanks man. I appreciate it. Still waiting for your wedding present. Dick. (laughs) (laughs) nah dude you're living that sweet sweet uh nick cage alimony life so you don't get dick if anything you owe me alimony life yeah man (laughs) it's gonna be good uh i appreciate it i don't uh, i'm very quickly outgrowing you in this podcast uh... (laughs) yeah i mean once you get nick cage alimony money it's over i can't compete with that with our shitty little podcast over here Let's go down the list. Throughout season one, I have banged Catherine O'Hara. I've married Nick Cage. I've gone on a coke bender with uh, James Woods. Uh, I've gotten uh, punched by Frank Sinatra for sleeping with Mia Farrow. I've had quite a life. I've had you are, quite a life. You're an interesting man, sir. That's why the people keep coming back. They 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 want to hear of your about many town. escapades. Yeah. Yeah. I've lived an esoteric life, my friend. Oh, <laughs> living that hey, esoteric hey. life. I'm on brand. <laughs> on brand. Well, one of us has has to. I just sit here at home with my wife and kid and work and be boring. So I live vicariously through you and your escapades. They're fun. Yeah, yeah. I I should introduce you uh, next next season, and we will uh, we'll get you going. We'll, we'll pump you up. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, hey, look with me today. Is a man who lived seven months inside Oprah Winfrey's vagina, Jason Peters. What's up, Jason? What's up, guys? <laughs> yeah, so uh, unfortunately, I uh, even though I slid out of her vagina, I was not uh, an heir to the Oprah throne. And as such, our podcast is what it is. I'm sorry. You know, I don't have that. I don't have that Spotify soundtrack and I don't have the Oprah inheritance money. So, man, you know, yeah, I really got screwed out of that one. You know, that's was just... it uh, was it mid interview or were you just having breakfast with Gail? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what sucks, too? Speaking of which, I made them a hell of a frittata, dude, a hell of a yeah. frittata that I would have hoped went a lot further than it did. And I think they're just spoiled celebrities that are, are used to the good life, you know, because that's a that that's a, that was me on a plate. That frittata. It wasn't a frittata. It was me on a plate. 
And they just shunned it, and they shunned me in, 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 in by extension. You, yeah, I mean, you were the frittata, just <laughs> scrambled eggs coming out. That's gross. Oh. Funny thing, that, funny thing. That's Ooh. actually uh, that's actually my birth surname, Jason Frittata. We changed it to Jason Peters. Frittata. Yeah, my, my great great grandfather, <laughs> when he emigrated from Poland, wanted it to sound more American, so he changed it to Peters. Oh boy, <laughs> I'm taking this bit about as far as I'm willing to take it. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on. This is someone's going to sue me, uh, either Nick Cage or Oprah Winfrey. It's going to I'm going to get it from both ends here. It's going to be like a chi- Chinese finger trap of of uh, legal enforcement. And as long I'm as not a, I'm not down for that. Well, as long as we keep it to our our patented four to six listeners, you know, we should be okay. I don't think one we're on their radar yet. Hopefully one of them's not a lawyer, so we're good. <laughs> hey, Speaking uh, of but, you coming out of uh, vaginas, we got a great movie to talk about here. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 That That was supposed to be the lead-in for Videodrome. That was that was the other episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. the stomach vagina. <laughs> <laughs> you mean uh, Audiodrome. <laughs> I do. Thank you, Werner Herzog. Um, yes. Okay, so re- real quick, before we get to the movie, I do just want to say, you know, uh, for everybody listening... Uh, this is the last episode of the season, obviously, and we've really had a great, great, wonderful time doing this thing with you. Uh, if you could help us out, uh, just spread the word and also do the like and subs. Uh, we appreciate it. Helps get our numbers up. And then, uh, you know, reach out to us. Let us know what you thought about season one. And if there's anything you want to see for season two, uh, you can get at us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Esoterica Cinema, as well as Gmail, Esoterica Cinema at gmail.com. So, Definitely let us know what you think of the show. Definitely let us know what you want to see for season two. And uh, Ryan, you know, before we really get into this, our listeners need that description of the film. So play them hits, maestro. Okay, today we have a uh, whew, little bit of an off movie. Um, this was a bit of a selfish endeavor for Jason and I. We chose this one by hand because we wanted to watch it. Uh, we are going deep into cage rage with <laughs> Willie's Wonderland. Your Willie is a wonderland. Um, <laughs> is that a 90s, <laughs> 90s alternative rock reference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, uh, yeah, a little, little your John body Mayer. Is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, little uh, maybe, John Mayer for you. Might but be early more 2000s. 100% more Willies. Well, <laughs> it's John Mayer, so 30% more Willies. Uh, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes has this as a quiet loner played by Nick Cage, finds himself stranded in a remote town where his car breaks down. Unable to pay for the repairs he needs, he agrees to spend the night cleaning Willie's Wonderland, an abandoned family fun center. But this Wonderland has a dark secret that this janitor is about to discover. He soon finds himself locked in an epic battle with possessed animatronic mascots that roam the halls. To survive, he must fight his way through each of them one by one. Jason, what did you think about this movie? Ryan, as always, I'm going to be happy to discuss that with you right after we listen to the trailer for Willy's Wonderland. Welcome to Willy's Wonderland. Spend the night cleaning Willy's Wonderland, and I will pay to have your car fixed. Deal? You are officially on staff. Let's get the hell out of here. I can't stand to hear a grown man scream. This place has a dark history. I know the bullshit story they told you. It's a lie. You're here to be a human sacrifice. Have you been listening to a word I've been saying? He's gonna die in here, but he won't listen to me. It's your 
Now, Ryan, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to lie here. I, I was a little disappointed by the movie. Didn't hate it by any stretch. Didn't hate it by any stretch, but didn't love it either. Uh, we're going to go into right. a lot of the reasons for that. Yep. Um, yep. But, you know, in the spirit of the show, let's go ahead and start at the beginning. At the beginning. <laughs> so, Ryan, once again, we get a movie, an independent film that was seemingly financed by 27 studios. So it takes <laughs> three, three minutes to start again, much like uh, Guns Akimbo and Dagon that came before so here, this episode. So here's the thing about that real quick, because I have this in my notes. Cool. There is a, um, a differential, because a lot of movies are inassociated with and do take a lot to come together. But uh, some of these movies, and the ones that we point out specifically like this, uh, seem to have a lot of graphics. So a lot of these production companies are just like so proud of themselves that they've decided to create these animated uh, intro scenes that take way too long and let you know. So it just kind of stands out, you know, like five minutes of, uh, you know, like the whole family guy. Bit yeah, we, we always about, talk you know? about that. dude. It's so funny. <laughs> it's different when it's in the titles, you know, where you've got a lot of people uh, introduced that made the film. But when they're when it's uh, yeah animated uh, thing after animated thing, it's like, geez, OK. Yeah, no, we're not talking about, like, an opening title sequence. That's totally different. Right, right. Yeah. No, but this is very gratuitous and lets you know the biz. Yeah. And when we open the film proper, uh, we see these animatronic figures that are singing a birthday song. It's obviously an allusion to Chuck E. Cheese's. And then also mm -hmm. to, you know, I mean, I, I think I mentioned it on the last one. Like, the setup for this movie is Five Nights at Freddy, the movie starring Nicolas Cage. Right. Even down to, uh, you know, the, the silent protagonist, which we'll talk about, too. So that's so, uh, real quick about that. Uh, apparently, uh, I read online that Chris Columbus actually has a Five Nights at Freddy's movie in production. Uh, or in oh, production. wow. So I'm curious <laughs> if that's going to come to fruition at some point or if that'll just get lost on the shelves since this came out. And he's like, ah, fuck it, whatever. But whatever. well, here's the thing. So, I mean, <laughs> if it's Chris Columbus and it is an actual Five Nights at Freddy's adaptation i'm sure it's going to be a pg-13 version which will open it That's up to true. a lot of different uh, audience so you know a lame <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so you know we open on these animatronic figures singing this song and then we see a terrified couple soon you know they're in some stark lighting they're distressed uh, the husband ends up being like dragged down the hall. I believe we see the shadow of one of the figures in the background and the woman continues running, trying to escape. She's sort of attacked by these unseen forces in this sort of POV shot reminiscent of like an evil dead or something. And she notices a small child who is hiding out and then camera cuts away from her. The woman screams and blood splatters across the screen, introducing the movie Willie's Wonderland. The credits begin 
there's this sort of like aggressive car montage with this eight bit like I don't know what do you what do you call that music? Ryan is it like chip tune or something like that. Eh, it has some very like specific name, like retro eight bit whatever. Not important. Either way, yeah. what is important, dude? Honestly, I don't even remember the song that was playing. It I was don't. just some little like eight bit sounds. Like like I said, it's like. They're, 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 someone's going to blow us up. We're going to get our first actual like outreach from a listener. It's going to be like, you guys, it's not chiptune. It's blah, blah, blah. Do your shit. Oh, By the way, your show sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're right. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, Bong. fine sir. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be Kevin Lewis, the director, um, coming at us. You know, it's going to be it's going to be Dicky Links. He's going to be. By the way, stop calling me that. It's a shitty nickname. <laughs> Dicky Links. Dicky Links. So Nick Cage quickly blows his tires out on a spike strip, which obviously tells us that, you know, something is amiss here. Something's uh, he, amiss. He gets dra- he gets out of the car and, you know, we quickly notice that he's supposed to be like the badass tough guy. You know, uh, we don't necessarily know he's going to be silent by now. I think it's gotten out enough. But like when the trailers played, I didn't know that he was a silent protagonist throughout the entire film. And but, he, you know, either way, he's dressed in that badass leather jacket with the perma scowl and he he goes to his trunk and opens it to pull out his punch that's going to be a consistent thing for him throughout the entire movie uh where he just continues to take these breaks and, and drinks his punch he loves his caffeinated punch here and uh yeah. <laughs> so by the way be, speaking of the whole silent protagonist aspect of the film like how did that work for you did it work did you like it the whole aspect of Nick Cage not speaking. What was your response to that? Uh, yes and no. One, it worked um, because it worked. But two, because I'm like so into Cage right now and I think he's going through a renaissance in his career and what he's given us and everything else, uh, I really wished there was some snarky dialogue or something like that. I didn't hate it in the context of the film that I watched. I just hated it because I, lo- I wanted more out of Nick Cage. Does that make sense? Not only does it make sense, I I entirely agree with you on that. So, And here's the other thing about this, Ryan. So, I have no idea how much Nick Cage got paid to do this movie. Do you? Did you check it out in your research? Okay. So, yeah. No, I I didn't. I I have no idea. The the movie has got a budget of five mil. I did see that. Um, Yeah. But I don't know how much of that was Cage's. You've got to think at least one or two, right? Yeah, probably. Probably. Either way, besides the point. Uh, what what so the point of mine is that by spending that money on cage obviously you're a little bit limited with the rest of your funds and what you can do so cage is not the only actor in this movie we also have this gang of kids teenagers really but for old men like us they're kids and we're gonna go into them in a little bit but the point that I want to say sort of high level is that these kids I'm sorry to say not good actors it's no. horrible actors across the board okay i was thinking yeah but it kind of fit with the b-movie horror vibe though you know like i, I wouldn't expect that to i don't be know a good acted situation would you it's you know what it was though it wasn't even necessarily just that the acting was bad it was the tone the actors had and it took me a little bit to kind of work through this but the best way that i can describe it is that that cast of of teenagers was were, was not a, a cast of movie actors that was a cast of television actors, okay? okay? If that gang of kids was on, like, a CW slash WB program, they would be perfect. Like, I've never seen that, like, teen-based Riverdale reboot that's out there right now, but I imagine that's exactly how the kids act, right? Like, so, it was just one of these things where Nick Cage is a movie actor, and I 
you know, I don't think any of us can really articulate or put into words exactly what it is that separates an actor or, or even a director's filmmaking technique. Um, the, that separation between television and film, right? And there's just something about a, a movie star that has a charisma or a certain presence that a television actor can often not have, right? Um, so, you know, call it gravitas, call it what you have. So my point is, I'm not expecting necessarily like great, wonderful Shakespearean performances of Macbeth or anything like that, but like for them to be such a central part of the movie, to put them up against Cage like that, it wasn't fair to them. And it just, it stood in stark contrast, the differences. That's fair. I'll give you that. Yeah. All right. So, uh, but yeah, so, and then to that, it's like, why didn't you flip it? <laughs> like, why couldn't you, why couldn't you take the bad actors and make them silent and then had a chatty ass Nicolas Cage to carry the film? Because the other thing, too, that we'll go into, and this is ultimately my biggest criticism of the film, is is it's really a shallow film. We've, we've mentioned this before, you know, where films don't necessarily have a lot of meat on the bone. And this is this is kind of the case with this film. And one of the things in particular, so like it does have a great pace. But it reminded me a lot of Guns Akimbo in the similar respect, not only just with the fact that it had all these different production companies opening it up, but also from the respect of like, when you're one of these movies that just comes shooting out of the gate with your energy, you you don't give yourself any any room to go down, right? Um, so, so you have to maintain this breakneck speed the entire time. Otherwise, what happens is by an hour... When you bring it down, like I'm used to this rush and now I'm kind of like feeling a little deflated or I'm getting a little bored, right? But then at the same time, sometimes you can go like overload and then it's like too much for too long and I'm exhausted. And so I just felt like there wasn't enough variety to keep up with the with the pace. Does that make any sense to you? Right. Yeah. It's probably a lot like this podcast where we come out swinging (laughs) and start to... would you tell director Kevin Lewis that uh, would your review be you you would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for these meddling kids? <laughs> That's exactly what I would uh, like on it. Like, and really, the only reason they exist is because we need people to kill, right? Like, Cage is right. Cage is the the badass anime protagonist, in, not in terms of he has giant eyes, but in terms of the fact that he's indestructible, <laughs> right? Like, he just you can't fuck with him. He's the ultimate badass. He just goes around and. What, you know, kills everyone else so quickly, you know, this guy's just like, ah, give me 30 seconds alone with them. I'll take care of them. Right. So you also right. kind of lose any sort of potential tension that might exist just because, again, he is indestructible. Like this dude's tougher than Batman. Right. Like he doesn't even get he barely gets a scratch on him the entire time. Yeah. And so he kind of makes the animatronic uh, demon possessed mascots not seem very formidable because he doesn't he makes it so easy correct that so uh, it's that was the problem that i had and i think that's kind of what you're saying too in a sense where it's like on one hand you've got the animatronics and the kids um and that kind of plays like one film and then you have the animatronics and nick cage and that kind of plays like another film and it's not consistent enough to really develop the threat is the threat level um uh, where we're watching them murder the kids one by one, in which case that's a formidable thing and and Nick Cage should have a harder time and we should feel scared and all of that. Or is 
just are we dealing with the Nick Cage side of the film, in which case he's just going to go through and run through these things. And that's a cool film, too, watching him like rip the throats out and all the violent, you know, murdering that he does. But I feel like they just were two different films, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and there's other examples and uh, supporting arguments, if you will. That we're going to talk about over the course of this show to kind of reinforce that, and and I 100% agree with you on that. So when cool. in, in getting in getting back to the film, uh, like I said, you know, Cage had his tires blown up. This tow truck driver comes by, picks him up. Cage isn't responding to anything he says. The tow truck driver is really chatty, and uh, immediately also you can't see, really understand what he's saying anyway. He kind of sounded like Boomhauer from yeah uh, yeah from he, King of the Hill. <laughs> just supposed to be one of those kind of Southern guys that's just kind of always talking and you know. Rather than working yeah. and stuff like that. You, you ain't from around here, are you? you know, those <laughs> yeah. And then from there, we cut to this this girl and a uh, young, young teenage girl. And she's dousing a building with gasoline. She's ready to set it to fire. But then the cops show up. And one of the cops is this older lady who, I forget her name, but she was in Donnie Darko and a bunch of other stuff. You, you'd, you'll recognize her in a heartbeat. And she actually... Takes the girl and like she was in Donnie Darko. That's where I've seen her. Okay, yeah, you're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Cool. Um. The what? What? What did she say? Like, uh, was it Sparkle Ponies or something or whatever that thing was that she was part of in Donnie Darko? I don't. Me- yeah, I don't remember, <laughs> but I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carry on. Uh. Anyway, so yeah, so she ends up taking the young girl and and taking her to what seems to be a home and at first we're not sure and, and and later it ends up getting revealed that like this is sort of her adoptive mother and uh you know she's telling her to like she has to calm down and stay here and the girl doesn't want to stay so she ends up uh handcuffing her to a radiator to keep her in place then she goes back to the office and she's basically like all right gonna have to wait this night out you know she knows what's going on we don't quite 100 know that yet but we 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 figure that there's something more than what's on the surface there so Getting back to the tow truck driver, so he takes Nick Cage back to his garage, says he's going to need $1,000 to fix it, Cage doesn't have that cash on him, there's no working ATM, the tow truck driver says he's not going to accept credit card to pay for it, so, you know, they've got a conundrum because uh, he can't pay to take care of it, so tow truck driver asks if he'd be willing to work it off, Cage, as he does, nods affirmatively, and then the guy ends up calling someone who is slow, uh, shortly revealed to be Tex. And Tex owns the titular Willy's Wonderland. So they uh, go to the... What do, what, do you, what do you even call it? Like an amusement restaurant? It's not like a theme park, a themed restaurant? What, what would you call a place like Chuck E. Cheese? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, amusement restaurant or play place. Like yeah. a kid's play place or something like that. Um, I mean, we all know what we're no, talking about, but I just want... I mean, there's... There's got to be some sort of official term for that. I don't know. We'll go with the amusement restaurant because that sounds good to me. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so Tex offers to fix his car, pay the $1,000 to have it fixed if he will spend the night cleaning his business, Willie's Wonderland, getting it ready for what he says is a uh, relaunch to get it back open and going. So by now, we've all seen the trailer enough times. We we know what the film's about. We know this is all just a setup. And, you know, the two of them enter, they watch this little birthday video, you know, the happy birthday, da, 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 that whole thing that they do throughout it. Um, and uh, they they introduce the mascots that way. 
And even right off the bat, we see, I think it's Willie, if not one of the other mascots, like move a little bit behind Cage when he's not working. So, you know, they, they kind of establish that very briefly. So our mascots are Willie Weasel, Artie Alligator, Cammy Chameleon, Ozzy Ostrich, which I love, Ozzy Ostrich, uh, Tito, <laughs> Tito Turtle, uh, Gus Gorilla, Siren Sarah, and my favorite, Nighty Night. <laughs> which one was nighty night oh uh, the, the night. night of course <laughs> okay so then that means by process of elimination that the siren is that the one with the tongue that gets the dude in the arcade because i couldn't figure out what she what well, what that character was like everything else uh, is no very that was clear. cammy chameleon oh that was a chameleon eh, yeah that doesn't siren like sarah was like the tinkerbell kind of looking got it character. okay Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that thing did not look like a chameleon. All the other costumes were real well done, but that one didn't look like a chameleon. Just saying. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you, buddy. I am disappointed. <laughs> I'm very disappointed. Um, from there, the teens show up to the mobile home, and they end up freeing the young girl. They're, it's like her friends or whatever. They show up. They free this girl, and they run back to Willie's Wonderland because they're going to – they know what's up. They know it's this evil place. The girl knows it. That's going to be revealed a little bit later. Why? And uh, so, you know, they're going to the burn it to the ground and, and take care of it. Meanwhile, Mr. Cage back at Willie's Wonderland is knee deep in his job. He's cleaning. He's got his fridge nice and stocked with his caffeinated punch. And, uh, you know, the boss tells him, text that is, tells him to make sure that he takes breaks every so often, you know. So all throughout the film, quite a bit, actually, it's probably what six, eight times. This guy will just take a break go back, chug a caffeinated punch, play a bunch of pinball, and then go back to work. And he'll even get a sort of little flash dance pinball scene before the film is over. Uh, That's how much he enjoys his punch and his pinball. (laughs) Yeah, so I was waiting for there to be some kind of reveal that he had been there before or that he had planned to go back. Because of how much he was, how much uh, TLC he was given that pinball machine, I almost yeah. wondered if there was some like childhood memory or some attachment um, that would have been fun to have seen some callback to find out like he was a kid that went there. Uh, maybe his parents died as well, and he was coming back on purpose to get some revenge, and he had some intention of being there in the first place. He'd been training for this moment or something, but uh, unfortunately, none of that was revealed to be true. So he just was a dude that. Was kicking back some caffeine drinks and uh, playing some pinball. <laughs> yeah, and that, and I suppose that does kind of segue into one of the things that ultimately I didn't really, I think, led to me being not as invested in the film as I would have been otherwise. Which is that these things are sort of fun; these elements that they add, they're a little strange, they're a little weird, etc. But they're not motivated by anything. You know, they're just it's just one of those things where you're writing or you're acting, and you're like, hey, it would be fun to put this in, you know. Uh, let's have this. Uh, wouldn't it be funny if, uh, you know, instead of, uh, you know, being an alcoholic or whatever, like, you know, Nick Cage was like addicted to these like, you know, energy drink sort of things. And they'll just be like punch. Right. Because it'll stand in like contrast to like his tough nature. And all, you know, right. in that same respect, you know, he'll be like really into pinball. Right. Because pinball's like a kid's game. And so he'll be like really into pinball. And that's as far as you go. You know, <laughs> like you just <laughs> and then you just like, OK, cool. Let's do that. Let's put it in the script. Let's have the actor do that, et cetera. But you know, there's there's really nothing to tie it to anything beyond that. Uh, so it's just kind of one of those things that you do for the sake of being a little weird and different. And look, dude, I mean, you and I and me especially like love weird and different, you know, and sometimes even just for the sake of it, you know, 
But at the same time, it, it only goes so far. And there are kind of... Okay, so Ryan, this is a perfect example, man. I don't know if you, how often you think of this. If you think of this at all, if you've even thought of it since it happened. So for everybody listening that doesn't know, Ryan and I went to film school together. That's how we met. And that was what, Ryan, 15 years ago, maybe? Something like that? I mean, you don't have to like call me out, but yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> I'm calling both of us out. We were into film school together. I'm not singling you out at all. This is we together. Well, I mean, what what would you say with that? 1971 or uh... <laughs> uh, yes, we went to film school together a long time ago. Anyway, on film, it was that long ago. <laughs> yes, yes, that is how long ago it was. But. Uh, so we had a we had a screenwriting teacher by the name of Mr. Bennett. You remember him? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you remember what he told us about the movie Monsters Ball? Does that does that at all ring any bells? No, I don't. Okay. If I was to go a little bit deeper and tell you the words plastic spoon, plastic fork, would that jog your memory at all? No. Okay. Not even a little bit. So yeah, so I remember that you know, he was our screenwriting teacher and he was talking about characterization and he was like, don't just do things for the sake of doing them. He's like, there's this movie out right now called Monsters Ball and everybody's like all over it, slobbing its knob about how great it is and this and that. And I think even, you know, even Halle Berry won Best Actress for it, first African-American woman mm-hmm. to do so. And so, you know, it was really well received. And he was like, there's an aspect of the main character. Where he, every time he goes to the restaurant, he has to bring a plastic fork and a plastic spoon. And it goes nowhere. And it doesn't match the character at all. And it's lazy screenwriting. It's one of these things where instead of motivating it, you know, if he's like some OCD guy, like when you when you put that in with Jack Nicholson's character, for example, and as good as it gets, I, I believe he does something similar. That makes 100% sense because he's this OCD guy. He's very neurotic. And we see other examples of him doing stuff like that. When you just like sort of arbitrarily like, uh, oh, how can we uh, give this guy some depth? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Plastic fork, plastic spoon. It, it's not motivated by anything. So it does nothing. And if anything, it just detracts. So I often right. think of that when when things like this come up is all think of that phrase. Plastic fork, yeah. plastic spoon. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. Now, I'm not necessarily looking for, by the way, um, in-depth yeah. Bennett-level <laughs> screenwriting from Willy's Wonderland. Correct. Let's go ahead and also Correct. add that. But I will, I will say though that this is one of those movies that was neither this nor that. Yeah. So if it was going to be a schlocky horror film, I would have liked to have leaned in a little more into that and had a little more danger. And as much as like the kids were dying, it seemed like they were dying too easily and too quickly. There wasn't much to it. And too quickly. They get rid of them in like 15, 20 minutes. If even that, it might've even been 10. They didn't die in the first 15 minutes. We went on this huge journey. And then like, Bam, bam, bam. They just check, started, check, check. Right. <laughs> and then, but then on the other hand, like uh, Nick Cage was offing the puppets so quickly. So yes. There wasn't really ever any consistency in the threat level, in the action, in the intensity. Um, I was never really invested in the kids. Um, I didn't really care about much of anything. Now, that all that said, I did enjoy the film, I think, a little more than you did. Um, okay. Just because I love me some Cage. So much so that I married him. And <laughs> dude, Mandy, Mandy is like my, uh, my jam, dude. Like I, I, when right. that movie came out, I watched that back to back like four times in a row. 
I adore that movie. I adore his performance. And much like you, I agree. Even though he's kind of doing some weird straight-to-video shit and stuff like that, like, he's more interesting now, possibly, than than he's been at any point in his career. I- I'm really looking forward to seeing, and I've heard good things about this, uh, Color Out of Space. Uh, you know, um, I actually saw that one. It was, it was good, but I didn't okay. love it. It wasn't... Mandy is a much, much better sort of cosmic horror film, even though Mandy's also Fair. much artsier. Uh, you yeah. know, so it, it, color I feel out of like space. though that is the um, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I think you are too, as far as just that Mandy had way more of a consistent build throughout the film yeah. that led you to a culmination of just a, a, an insane payoff. If ever, if anyone out there listening hasn't seen Mandy and you like cult horror films and and just ape shit banana pants crazy uh, Nick Cage movies, Mandy's your movie. Um, we actually have it on our list, and I really hope we pull it one day because I would love to talk yeah. about it with you and with the listeners. Dude, so good. I remember I watched it before you just by a few days, and I was, like, taking photos <laughs> of, <laughs> of the screen as I was watching it. And, like, dude, you have to fucking watch this. Right away. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, th- but that has more of, like, a consistent tone of uh, build throughout the film uh, that culminates, and there's a payoff. This doesn't really do that. It kind of yeah. gives you everything up front almost. Like, I feel like... Uh, you know, the cool stuff kind of happens and then it just tapers off. You yep. kind of hit cruise control and he's just one by one killing these things and they're killing the kids and he's killing the things and they, and back and forth we go. Now, it's still a fun watch. I'm not sure. shitting on this film. I will also say that uh, something we haven't even talked about is the um, the director, Kevin Lewis, uh, hadn't made a movie in seven years. No, oh, wow. longer than that. Um, he hasn't made a movie since 2007. So 14 years. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. So this guy's been on the back burner for a hot minute. So the, the writer of this film wrote a script. It went on Bloodlist, uh, of, of which, um, which is kind of like one of those uh, lists you put scripts on and then, you know, people can kind of rate them. And then, you know, sometimes things get hot. And this oh, one I got see, hot. Yeah. Nick Cage attached him to it, uh, himself to it. And then they uh, picked up this director and it had a little modest budget. And they picked up a couple of... Um, I know the the actress, the blonde um, bubblegum chewing one uh, was Kaylee Cowan, who's got a tremendous Instagram following. So I think they just kind of picked up some Instagram people and, and some different actors on the uptick that they could get for cheap that are trying to get their name out there. Um, but yeah, this director hadn't made anything in 14 years. Uh, I will say that the costumes and the animatronics were done very well by a woman named Molly Coffey. Uh, who kind of cut her teeth on the set of uh, The Walking Dead, amongst other things. She's worked with Greg Nicotero a bunch, and and uh, she's in the Atlanta area, and really big mm-hmm. uh, in the indie circuit Atlanta. This was filmed in Atlanta uh, at a bowling alley, of all places, that they redesigned. So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, there was there were some things to like about it, but the things I didn't like about it, I can't really fault them for. You know, uh, you haven't made a movie in 14 years, you know, uh, tone and... and you know, um, consistency isn't really going to be your forte. You're just getting, you know, you're looking for quality of the creatures and the blood and all that. And they did give us that. I will also say this was shot very well. I liked the way it was shot. I liked the frenetic vibrations during the uh, murder scenes where they would shake the camera a lot and make it, you know, kind of agitated. Um, They started this film, the opening shots were all done in this really weird yellow tone, almost bleach bypass but it had a yellow twinge to it, almost Michael Bayish in its uh, oversaturation and warmth. Um, 
yeah, there was a you know there were some things to kind of pick apart uh, technically about this film. I can't completely shit on it. It was a good film. Uh, just wasn't. I think my problem with it was I was expecting too much, and that was on me. I think I put too much on this film. I was really, <laughs> really, really excited about it because it had Nick Cage and murderous animatronics and you know zombie Chuck E. Cheese shit, and then you know this is what we got, and it was pretty good. But I just think I was waiting for Mandy to electric. Boogie. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. I do. And I actually have the same thing where I actually go out of my way anymore to try to know as little as possible about a movie because I've found that there is a direct relationship between my level of expectation and the enjoyment that I get out of something. And for whatever sure. reason, you know, I think I think and I think it's common. Like we get overexcited. You know, we we build these the potential of these films up to a degree that can never be matched. And so when it's not exactly what we want, you know, we we're, 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 we're expecting the $50 million version of this movie and we got the $5 million version of this movie and that's fine. But you know, those expectations do, I think play a large part in what I, in, in how I come away enjoying a film or not enjoying a film. So I do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I 100% understand that. The other thing I was going to say real quick is that, uh, I swore for a fact, Ryan, like there was no. So, by the way, everyone listening, you may have picked up like Ryan, uh, Ryan does a lot of the research, you know, on the back end. And I like to kind of come in a little more blind so that I can just sort of respond to these things as they come up. And in that spirit, I will let you know, Ryan, there was no part of me, no part of me that was not convinced that this movie was directed by a 25 year old. And it was his first film. I was 100 percent convinced it feels like an amateurishly put together film. There are good shots. There are, it is, it is well directed. I will say that in terms of the way that the sequence is cut together. I think that the, obviously the acting could have been approached a little bit different, but I, I do think it's well put together, but, and it's hard to say, right? It's, but there is a feeling to this film, right? It's, it's, it's that intangible quality that exists between watching Traditional television, not television as we know it today, which is basically just movies, right? Like they get film directors yeah, and right. now television yeah. made like movies. But like go back 20, 30 years, film and television felt different. And, and and it's hard to articulate, but when you watch it, you know it. There's just a different feel. The drama in Law and Order feels different than the drama in a Scorsese movie, even though they're telling the same story, right? And the acting and, and the way it's shot and everything that goes along with that. And, and so in that same respect, I feel like indie films are much the same way. We talked about that on our last episode with Buffalo 66, where it's like, this just feels like an indie movie, right? So that was the funny, that was the thing to me about this movie is it felt like a young filmmaker's first film, which is not exactly a compliment, but at the same time, maybe for an older filmmaker to have such a youthful energy is a compliment. I, I don't know. I just thought that and was interesting. Yet- and yet, I feel like there were a lot of the technical aspects of this film where they, uh, the, a lot of the departments were giving it their all, almost like this was a demo reel movie. Sure. Like, this was a movie that everybody came together and said, look, we're not going to get paid, but we're going to, you know, get give it our all, and hopefully, you know, I can put this on my reel and go get something that will get me paid. So this yeah. is a resume builder. This was not... Like, and that's why I think maybe the director failed it a little bit because it, he didn't have the wherewithal or the uh, skill set to bring it all together in a cohesive way to make it feel like a good sandwich. 
but the meat was good. The tomatoes were ripe. The mayo was cold. Like the lettuce was crisp. There were parts of this that were good. Just when you took a bite of it, it didn't really feel like the sandwich you like that you ordered. So, um, like I said, the animatronics were good. I liked Nick Cage's performance. I thought the cinematography was good for a bu- for a budgeted film of this caliber. I thought we were doing some good things. There were there were pieces of this that I could pick out. Um, also, the director uh, said that he w- uh, his goal for this was to feel like Pale Rider meets Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Did you ever see Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? No, I haven't seen either of those movies. Okay, so this kind of feels like one of those uh, Killer Clowns uh, films or Killer Tomatoes movies. Like, now, I've seen Killer, Killer Clowns really, several times. Yeah, one of the schlocky 70s, 80s. So uh, if that's your goal, if that's the bar you're setting, but you want to do it you know, in 4K with a red camera that somebody had and whatnot, and you're shooting in a bowling alley with all these cool costumes, and you got people willing to like jump in and pour their heart into this film and put a lot of work into it. And it's a resume builder and you're trying to get it, you get your name out there and you know, this one, let's just limp through and we'll get them uh, on the next one. Cool. Like I can respect a lot of those things, but again, and I've said this many times on this podcast, if you're going to bring me on this show and ask me to talk about this movie specifically and how this one hit me, I think it just left me lacking a little bit. You know, I think that even uh, other people's first films, like, Evil Dead, you know, uh, <laughs> with Sam Raimi and shit like that. Like, um, those aren't big budgeted films. They shot that out in a cabin in the woods and and a bunch of nobodies and the kids all died one by one and it was easy deaths. But uh, that w- for whatever reason, the story or, or the way, it, the, the consistency of the tone and all of that um, was done very much better, more consistent. They I just, it delivered a little better for me. I yeah. No, I agree 100%. And we'll get why... This one missed, but it just missed. It yeah. wasn't a big swing. No, it wasn't a whiff like, at I'm all. Not gonna... It wasn't a whiff at all. Right, right. There's a lot of kudos to give here. And, and I really need to drive that home because uh, I, I I enjoyed it. I just didn't love it as much as I wanted to. I thought the... that... And I think that the real pisser was is the potential of it because yeah. it could have been a great film. Like there, there was a lot of things that I saw that was like... Damn, like, and I I can't even put my finger on it, but it just left me wanting more. It was good, but it just wasn't. It was so close. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a lead off single, you know, Get, getting yeah. things going. Right, right, right. But yeah. It wasn't sure. the it wasn't the home run that that drove it home and won the game. Right, but they still got on base. Yeah, cool. but they still got on base. I so hope we, to you see know, more out of a lot of these people. It's better than striking out, that's for yeah. sure. So now getting back to the film, you know the. Film starts in proper. Well, not the film starts in proper, but we start getting to the animatronic stuff here, where you know Cage is cleaning, he stocks the fridge with punch, and you know we get the character sort of coming to life, not coming to life. Finally, he turns around, and the uh, I think it's the bird, and he's like, "I'm gonna feast on your face!" Ha ha ha! And then you know, but little does he know that Cage is a, a master with a broomstick, and so he beats him to hell. <laughs> and I actually did like this. this so. The the first time that that happens, it's pretty cool, right? Part of the thing, and, and I want to delve into this a little bit more, is that like it just gets a little derivative. You know, it's it's the the deaths weren't creative the way that you know, and I think that's when you right. when you're talking about sure. horror films, especially horror comedy films. I think that to a large degree dictates success. Is how creative are your kills? If you're just you know. Uh, knife through knife through the back knife through the stomach you know every time six times in a row like you know whatever you you want to escalate it, going back to exactly what you said you know it doesn't escalate it, it it starts off and we're about the third of the way through this movie 
And there's nothing more that it has to offer. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's, it's giving you more of what you've had, and that's not bad, but it's not going to up it. You know, it's not upping the stakes. It's not going to give you more creative deaths. It's not going to give you bigger set pieces. Like, it is what it is from the beginning through to the end. And so that's what I think keeps it in that kind of sort of middle space, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I thought the uh, the Aussie ostrich kill too uh, when we turn around and it, you know there's that shock moment. I thought it had a very um, Evil Dead homage, a bit of a swallow your soul moment uh, w- with the, uh, the the character that comes out of the basement and all of that. Uh, so that's just what it instantly reminded me of. Swallow your, I'm gonna swallow your soul. You yeah, know? I don't know. no, totally. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And uh, you know we've got the cops at the station. They're sort of on call. We've got Nick Cage continuing to drink his punch and take his breaks and do his cleaning. We get a time lapse of him cleaning in the bur- in the bathroom, rather. And, uh, the, you know, the characters come back to life. They start singing. He turns them off, goes back to the bathroom. And there's this message written in the mirror. It says, uh, it's your birthday written in blood, right? And that leads him to go and search the different stalls. He gets to the end one. Nothing's there. Last minute, bam, gets kicked by, uh, what, is it a gorilla in this one? Yeah, it was a gorilla. This is actually my favorite death because it does do that. So, so we get the first one where it's just a sort of straight, um, you know, sort of fist fight type thing. Which, by the way, I also did like on the first death that Nick Cage straight, like, rips the thing's mechanical spine out of his back yeah. like uh, like right. scorpion from mortal Kombat or something like that <laughs> it was <laughs> a fatality <laughs> yeah yes, exactly absolutely uh that was a good one and then the next one is cool too because he basically like you know they do the fight bam 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 and then he straight puts his head up on the urinal and like kicks it in and uh you know we get this like sort of black oil that kind of is like a blood splatter and I thought yeah, those he two curb were... stomps him like <laughs> American does. History X. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And uh, it was really effectively done. And so I was kind of gearing up like, oh, OK, cool. You know, we're ratcheting up slowly but surely. But that's going to be like the most extreme death. You know, everything else is just kind of, you know, him ripping stuff off and beating people. Yeah. Up and and stuff. I, I know we keep beating a dead horse here, um, but I felt like. The deaths almost got easier. So by the end, it was just kind of like, let's get this over with, where I felt like the gorilla death, for example, that was a tussle. And I was in it up until this moment in the film. I was still on board. But I felt like as we progressed past this, they were almost maybe running out of time or money or something or just out of ideas. But I felt like the deaths kept getting easier and easier um, to the point where the ultimate foe, uh, Willie, um, was really not that big of a challenge. No, I felt like wasn't. Gus the gorilla in the bathroom was the coolest death, to your point, uh, yep. because it was the most challenging death or, or fight scene with Nick Cage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas I, I think I would have rathered the Willie thing be more of a big, you know, boss battle, if you will, exactly. from video game terms. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree with you. Nothing to add. So. Now, at this point, we've also got to get the kids in there, right? Because if Nick Cage isn't going to die, we, we, we've got to kill someone. So uh, they got to get these kids <laughs> over there and they arrive with their gas cans. They've just freed the girl from her house and from the handcuffs. And so they've got the gas cans. They're ready to light the place up. Ryan, I do have a clip of that that I want to go ahead and play here for our listeners. Hey, Chris. What? Can you pour gas literally anywhere else? I'm sorry, you pour like crap. Aaron. You're pouring gas on top of my All gas. Right, let me go over here and I'll just paint Perfect. the bush. Thank you. Hey, you blowing bubbles? Hmm? Bring your ass. You forgot the lighter, didn't you? No, I didn't. Then let me see it. Oh, my God. There you go. Yeah, all right. Wait. Oh, 
Not yet. That guy's still in there. We gotta get him out first. Hey, sir! Sir! You're not safe in there. We gotta get you out. Hey! Well, that was rude. Hey, look, if he don't want to be safe, it's his ass, not ours. Tough shit. I'm getting him out whether he likes it or not. You want to go in there with those things? Are you high? Look, if he want to be cremated, that's his business. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm just not okay with letting somebody burn alive in there if we can do something about it. She's right. Of course she is, Chris. Oh, shut up. Hurry to shut up so we can go home. I'll figure out how to get inside, but I'm not putting you guys in danger. You just figure out how to get us out once I do. So from there, these kids see Cage, he's inside, he's cleaning, they're like, oh, we gotta get him out, we gotta get him out. Hey, mister, you know, you don't know what's going on in there. They don't know that he's already destroyed a couple of these creatures. And uh, so they're trying to get him to come out. He's not interested, he stays inside. Everyone but the girl wants to go ahead and burn the place down with him still in it, which feels a little callous, but uh, she wants to go in and rescue him. And so she sneaks in through the air ducts and manages to get inside. Now, Ryan, this next sequence is a sequence that I actually both really enjoyed, but also detested to the point that it upset me. It is the single biggest betrayal of the rules of the universe that it has established and pretty much immediately reduces and destroys any of the tension that might have come from these creatures. We've already talked about how they're not super threatening because they're so easily defeated. This takes it a step further. So Ryan, what I'm talking about is the scene where, so she's chased through the air duct, she manages to escape, and she finds herself in what actually was a really cool set piece. It was like that sort of like ravey enchanted forest thing that she found herself uh-huh. in. And she was being pursued by, I guess, given what you said earlier, Siren, the fairy thing or whatever, right? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really, really effectively done sequence. I loved the sets. I loved, you know, the co- the colored lighting, the way they utilized that. Uh, the suspense with the character sort of chasing her, not chasing her, etc. But this is what happens by the end of it, is they confront each other and the fairy successfully nabs her, right? Like the fairy captures this teenage girl that's not the protagonist but she's the primary supporting actress and in the next scene there is zero repercussions she just shows up on the rooftop like hey guys what's going on no explanation (laughs) of how she got out there like the entire thing is that these mascot creature things grab you and kill you why was she left alone And at that point, there is no suspense because if you get captured by one of these things, but you're important to the story, you just get to show up in the next scene saying, hey, guys, how's it going? Yeah, I just got nabbed by a uh, creature there, but ah, don't worry, I took care of it. Right. So, yeah, there's just no consistency. Uh, You know, sometimes they're they're brutally violent and dangerous and they'll kill you. And that that's pretty cool. And then at times other times they just kind of chase you around like a like a Benny Hill sketch, you know, and and, uh, (laughs) there's not really any. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Some cops follow you swinging some batons, girls in bikinis. Um, So uh, and then, you know, that. Uh, contrasted with the Nick Cage character and all the rock star shit he's doing and putting his all into his performance, it just seems really disjointed. And so I could go one way or go the other, uh, but, you know, to to kind of, you're right, to your point, it it was kind of jostling or jarring to kind of take you out of it a little bit because you never really felt like 
sometimes you felt like they were in danger. Other times you didn't, and you never knew when. And, and then at a certain point, you just kind of are along for the ride and the, for the show. I do think, though, in all fairness, coming back full circle, I think that that also was done to some effect uh, in Attack of the Killer Tomatoes or Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I think that if that was his goal... Uh, was to go back to that. I just think that maybe we've progressed past that as viewers. Yeah. I don't know. No, no, 100%. And that's the thing. This movie was made Maybe in... we're being too harsh or, or, you know, bring enough movie like this into a program like this where we're just going to, you know, uh, critique it too much. Just go along for the ride. But even then, I didn't really... I thought the ride could have been better because I'm cool with that. I'm cool with going along for the ride and just turning my brain off and just having a fun romp. Uh, we've done that with films before, but uh, this wasn't that either so yeah. it, it kind of missed that mark too a little bit and, and you're absolutely right like this film ultimately wasn't the type of film that we really want to like pick apart on this show um but we don't know that until we see it you know because sure. this could have just as easily been you know one of the batshit crazy genre movies that we've watched were that result in really strong episodes like the lighthouse or zardoz or one of those things you know just these right 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 or yeah dagon you know batshit crazy genre like oh this happened that happened blah 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 lots to laugh about but like this just didn't you know as we say quite often with films like this it didn't have much meat on the bone you know there's yeah. just it, it just kind of is what it is. It shows up. It does its thing. It's out. Bada bing, bada boom. You know, it's like, hey, you know, uh, we don't need to sit here and, and, and you know, prod and ask a bunch of questions. And, you know, no, we didn't motivate the pinball or the punch. We just thought it'd be cool. So we threw it in. Right. And it's like, oh, cool. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, we uh, just need to give him something to do while the kids are dying. That's pretty much all that it, that pinball yeah. machine exists for. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly everything about this movie says we have a 30 minute movie what can we do to make it closer to 90? And so they're just like, uh, sure. okay, well, we'll throw this in. Like, especially the way that they just totally ham fistedly rammed that origin story in through the middle of the, of the, of the, of the film. Uh, that was, that was not really well done. Uh, I'm actually, I, I have that clip that I'm going to go ahead and play for us. The kids have basically just gotten on the rooftop. Like I said, you know, the, the, the main girls just sort of shows up unharmed after being captured by this siren person. And they're talking about how they're going to break in. And then the roof collapses and they all fall into the ball pit. And, you know, they very quickly find cage and she's like, you, you think that this is, you know, a legit opportunity. It's not. Let's go ahead and listen to that story. This town has a dark history, and it all starts with this horrible place. You know, Willie's may seem like a happy-go-lucky child's play place, but it's much, much more than that. Willie's was built in 1996, the brainchild of Jerry Robert Willis. And if that name sounds familiar to you, it should. Jerry was one of the last century's most sick and sadistic serial killers. Jerry spent most of the time cultivating similar sickos. I mean, these were the most depraved people you could ever imagine. Often, Jerry and his crew would whisk away unsuspecting families to the super happy fun room. Once inside, the families would be treated to a birthday cake and a private show by Willie Weasel. The shows would always end the same way. After numerous missing persons reports and suspicious smells coming from the inside of Willie's, the law felt it was time to investigate.
refused to be taken alive. After the police finally entered the super happy fun room, they discovered that Jerry and his crew had performed a satanic suicide ritual. Instead of surrendering, the killers decided to take their own lives. Those familiar with satanic rituals speculate that the suicide ritual was some sort of a Katra transfer energy, where the memory and, and consciousness of the living relocate into non-living entities. In this case, the animatronic robots. So yeah, so it's just a really sort of like shoehorned info dump. You know, there was never really any sense of mystery that was established previously to where all of a sudden I'm like, it wasn't that like, oh, that's what happened, right? Like the film had never posed the question for me to even really stop to consider what was going on. Basically, we find out that she was the young girl from the very intro. That's really, yeah. That's the big reveal. And, uh, you know, that, that, hey, remember that thing we showed you 20, 30, 40 minutes ago that had relevance and this is why. Uh, and then, but as the viewer, you're just like, cool. <laughs> and then that's the end of that. <laughs> it does tie together the sheriff as the, uh, you know, pseudo parent, adopted foster parent of Liv, uh, who is essentially, aside from Nick Cage, our main character of sorts. And, um, you know, kind of the leader of the ragtag group of misfit kids. And uh, so we find out, you know, what her beef is with this place and why she's trying to destroy it. Um, gives us a little bit of a through line there. I did like the set piece of the rooftop. I, I racked my brain trying to figure out if it was a set or a uh, practical location. The stars were so vivid. Um, and the trees oh yeah, were so well I believe lit. that was a backdrop. I have to say, or it That's was some I sort thought. of digital. Okay, good. I'm could, glad you said that. Yeah, there's no way that was that like. Was is this real. a soundstage or Had did they be. green screen this? It just looked a little too hyper real. I would, I would. It was cool looking. Yeah, I would guess it was probably green screen, or who knows? Maybe it was even a combination. Like, I mean, maybe they yeah. did it on location and then hung grease green screens behind people on close ups and did some sort like of the digital room? something there. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> did they do that in that yes uh, i've never did i've never not see uh i never saw the room and i never saw the disaster artist so oh, i really want to see the room yeah. first but it but it was like right when that came out and the dude being the marketing guy that he is like it wasn't available anywhere and you could only buy it on youtube for 20 and i was just like nope sorry bud not a shitty movie. What's really a shame is that whole phenomenon in theaters uh, was going on when we were in film school. I remember I very, very, very uh, de- uh, descriptively like seeing those billboards everywhere. Yeah, and our teachers and would really talk about seeing what it. the fuck. Yeah, I never knew what it was about. Nobody told me to go watch it. I was like, room. It, it's like it looked like performance art or some weird indie film. I didn't yeah. really know what was going on. And we could have been in those audiences uh, <sighs> doing all that fun stuff at that moment. And uh, and we missed it, Jason. God damn it. Uh, but yeah, uh, they shot that on a rooftop uh, or a, ce- uh, a couple of scenes, a bunch of scenes on a rooftop. And he demanded bringing green screens in. So the whole thing was like, you're going to shoot it on location that you want on the location that you want, but you're going to green screen it in anyway for no reason whatsoever <laughs> uh, to add more of a skyline. And it was very, very weird uh, decision making. But uh, if you watch either of those films or both of those films, which I highly recommend, um, you'll see that there was a lot of odd decision making going on. Not the least of which is uh, buying the cameras instead of renting them, which back then was disastrous and uh, shooting it on both film and digital simultaneously uh, because he didn't know what he wanted to do. So he paid double for the film of what it should cost, which is fantastic. 
Love Which, that. if you see the film, you'll realize shouldn't have cost any more than two used condoms and a nickel. And uh, <laughs> But he spent a lot of money on that movie. Anyways, carry on. That's amazing. Gotta love that. Gotta love that. Well, and here's another thing that I took issue with. I kind of alluded to it a little bit ago, but that's the fact that these kids, you know, we get them in Willy's Wonderland through this roof crashing through, but we get them the hell out super quick, dude. Those kids are not around for more than 10 to 15 minutes. And it just, it keeps in with that, like everything moving along so quickly that you never really have a chance to establish any sort of drama or suspense or at the very least tension, you know, that's what, that's what this movie needed more of. This movie needed more tension. Yes. It it wanted to be very, very good. It wanted to be evil dead and it did a good job capturing the kind of more zany tonality of that, but it did a bad job really holding the horror down because there are really very little horror elements to this movie. I mean, the lighting, yes, the opening little, you know, one to two minutes, sure, and just the general vibe of it, but really, it's more of an action movie than it is a horror movie. Yeah, because every... There's gore. Yeah, but... but, You know, in the sense of, like, the black oil stuff, you know, when you'd kill the the deal, uh, the, the machines and stuff, but yeah. Well, not only that, but even with respect to, like, outside of those kids, so... The 10 to 15 minutes with the kids, that's horror, right? We see, you know, even down to the fact that they go off to the room to go bang and then they get killed by the main threat in the middle of of banging and like, it's such like a horror trope, you know? It embraced that aspect of it for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, of these, you know, seven, eight, however many characters, each one of them dies by way of a fist fight and getting beat up. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like, and it's it's all about the those two minute action set pieces and scenes, you know, and and it's all and 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 those are action elements, right? The shaky cam that you're talking about, it, those are all cool things. You know, they clearly altered the frame rate um, to to give it that sort of different vibe, and so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all that stuff is cool. But those are those are action elements. You know, those right. are those are scenes from action films. So I even said it opens like a uh, Michael Bay movie with the oversaturated yellow and, and Nick Cage wearing like the the re- highly reflective sunglasses. He's driving the Camaro and the whole bit. Yeah, it's a beefed up. He's wearing the leather jacket, spike strips. It has a very machismo feel going into it. Uh, so it kind of opens like an action film, like, a you know, over the top action film, too. Yeah, definitely. Now, I do really quickly want to play. I did like. There was a moment in the film where, like, uh, when the kids show up where the Willie the Weasel, like, does this little song. Uh, I I just liked that song, so I'm going to play it here for you guys real quick. And it's really funny, Ryan, too, because I was thinking about it after the fact, and I don't know why, but it occurred to me. I was like, that sounds a lot like a Tom Waits song. 
Like you can just <laughs> you can picture like Tom Waits like six little chickens, blah, 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 right? Like in his weird freaking Tom Waits voice or something. It's like yeah, it's funny. So Tom Waits, Absolutely. if you're one of the four who listens, cover this song and then at Esoterica Cinema me with a copy of it afterwards. Or I'll even take it a, a, a step further. Anybody listening who likes Tom Waits and who can affect a good Tom Waits accent. You do the Willy's Wonderland song, The Six Little Chickens, in Tom Waits' voice. Send it to us. Uh, we'll send you a t-shirt or something. I mean, if we got that, that would make me so happy. I would cu- go out, custom make someone a t-shirt, and send it to them. So if you want to be the one, do it. Send it to us. And we will share it with everyone. The magnificent brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways. But, um, uh, but yeah, so that was just like a fun little part. And again, you know, all the kids get off super, super quick. 10, 15 minutes, we're out. We've got, you know, the obvious ploy by the uh, chameleon, I guess you said it was, where, you know, she's playing the like, oh, I'm different, you know, but nobody likes me. And the guy's like, really? I'm different too. And she's like, haha, sucker. <laughs> Kills him hiding yeah. out in the arcade. And you just, eh, it's fine. It was telegraphed. But here's the thing. So, okay, you can go one of two ways with these things, right? In, in a situation like this, where the kid's hiding out in the arcade and we know that her thing is a trap for him. You can do one of two things, okay? You can either really play into that and change the direction of the story so that it's interesting, or you can give me a creative death, right? Because I already know this is a trap. So when you're like, ah, gotcha, it's a trap, you're like, didn't get me, knew it was a trap, saw you hiding around the corner the whole time. So like, give me something more in that scenario. You can't just be like, hey, did you like that surprise? And it's like... Nah, dude, I, it wasn't a surprise. And at that right. point, what did you bring it, me? It would have been a lot more interesting if something got him from behind or something. I, I will also add to your point uh, that none of the kids seem scared throughout the film. Thereby, <laughs> by proxy, making me frightened. Like, none of them really seemed frightened for their lives, even though they were one by one finding each other dead. It just seemed like they were all... Uh, ramping up or doubling down on their aggression towards these things. Like we need to kill them, which is cool. Usually that's a third act change where yeah. the the second act, you, you go in a little cocksure or naive. Then by the second act, you're given a, a realization of you're outmanned, outgunned, and you're fucked. And then by the third act, you've got kind of a last man standing situation where you get like get retribution, you know, Bruce Campbell turning things around or whatnot. Uh, Come and get it. You know, the chainsaw on the on the missing arm. Uh, Let's fucking rock and roll. Um, But there was no like tone change or really acts uh, act shifts in this movie. You know what I'm saying? Like I do. There was no kids like hiding out from these things like. Uh, panting or like out of breath, holding their breath. You know, we don't see them off camera sweating, uh, you know, trying not to be found. Uh, they're just like, Oh, this is a cool room. That's fucked. You know, and <laughs> the one kid in the ball pit's just like making a phone call to the sheriff. And then someone comes in and is like, you know, the, the, the cami chameleon character, the, the scene you're describing, oh, I'm not who you think I am. And he's like, really? And th- there was never any like, as as it's getting closer and closer and we know how close it is, but the monster doesn't and the kid doesn't. And so we, by proxy, by the audience, are feeling that intense, you know, oh, shit, you know, it's right around the corner, monster in the closet or someone hiding in the closet from the monster. You know, the the trope of, like, peeking through the, the slats yeah. in a closet uh-huh. and you could see the killer in the room with you and, yep. and um, 
all of a sudden the the killer hears him breathing or or hears him knock uh, something over in the closet and it's like, oh, you in there? You know, one of those type moments. There was never anything like that. The kids all gave themselves up, made themselves vulnerable very easily. And then to your point too, the deaths weren't really that creative. Like, you know, the when you see the chameleon confront that kid who was hiding out, then convinces the kid that, uh, that you know, I'm not all bad. The kid's like, oh, really? And then it just proceeds to do exactly what you think it's going to do. Yeah. And so there's never any gotcha moment or any get them from behind or, or you know, I don't know. That's yeah. no 100%. It left me wanting a lot of those things that I thought could have been done better. And by the way, pretty easily to me, I think that's a writing thing. That's not a, I mean, the monsters were already there. The costumes were dope. The locations were cool. Like all the pieces of the puzzle were there. You just had to play with them a little different. You know what yeah. I mean? No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And to your point about the clunky writing, you know, from there we get the point where he's just called the cops before he dies. They show up and they sort of do the second info dump where she talks about how they basically cut a deal with Willie and they're going to, you know, give him the periodic sacrifice in exchange yeah. for leaving the rest of the town alone. And uh, right. It was like a cadre of uh, of serial killers that all came into mm-hmm. this Chuck E. Cheese's of sorts, uh, you know, Willie was a manager of it and he started killing people and then he started bringing in employees who were serial killers to make this all-star Justice League cast of, you know, Avengers cast of, of serial killers um, uh, all hiding out under the ruse of this Willie's Wonderland spot. And then they, when they died, their souls possessed these animatronics uh, who continued to kill until the townspeople cut a bargain with them. Yes. And said that we will sacrifice people to you periodically in exchange for you not coming through and killing our children. Um, meanwhile, the children, we find out uh, our band of misfits are trying to burn this place to the ground to once and for all kill these things, which... If that was the answer, all you had to do was kill these things like, you know, that you would think that them being possessed demonic beings that they would supersede the human laws of death or whatnot. Otherwise, why didn't the sheriff and, and the text character and the, the mechanic and all that? They could have handled this long ago by letting <laughs> a letting the kids burn down the place as they wanted to uh, and collecting some insurance money, perhaps, or b just going in there, uh, you know, vigilante style uh, as a town and, you know, ransacking these things. They were pretty easy to kill. I mean, Nick Cage handled handled them all single handedly with some. Uh, caffeine drinks, you know, you think uh, someone in that town would have had some good old fashioned Georgia meth and uh, they could have got all hopped up and <laughs> ransacked that fucking place and ripped some animatronic heads off. I don't know. Yeah, no, that could have very easily been burned to the ground or just demoed. Right. And yeah, solved or but... just go in there with guns and just, you know, start blowing these things to bits and hack and slash with a chainsaw done and done. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So the cop gets pissed that Cage is basically screwing up the deal they have set up with Willie. And so she handcuffs him and sort of leaves him to the proverbial wolves. The siren and the chameleon are going to fight him. He kicks the jukebox on. He's got his handcuffs still, or rather his hands handcuffed behind his back still. And he sort of fights them uh, without any hands. And at the same time, the young girl and the male cop leave. 
Uh, she's the only one left standing by this point. Like I said, we've offed all the other kids super, super quick here. And she convinces the male cop to eventually, like, stop the car and go back to help them. But not before we do get that last minute, you know, stab by the uh, the Mexican mascot or whatever. But then he ends up, the mascot that is, getting beat to shit by the young girl who grabs, like, a shotgun and beats the hell out of him. So, and uh, back at Willie's Wonderland, the cop's trying to sacrifice Cage. But Willie ends up eating her, and that's when it sets up that, you know, big final boss showdown that you were talking about. And yeah, 100%, I mean, the only difference between any of the other fights is that Willie at least gets a few shots in, right? Like, Cage doesn't go, like, untarnished. Like, there is, you know, 10 seconds where he's getting beat up on or so, which is more than you can say for any of the other mascots. But then, basically, he ends up resolving it the same way. But instead of one broomstick, he's, you know, not cut it in half, but he's broken it in half and, like, taped it together. And now it's a double broomstick. And that's, like, upping the stakes? Uh, I don't know. And then, (laughs) yeah. So, and then he just very easily beats the shit out of him the same way he has everyone else. uh, And uh, Well, and these are supernatural, possessed... serial killer animatronics and what we're reduced to as our boss fights are melees that really look like um you know uh me fighting barney the dinosaur or a sesame street character of some kind uh just blow for blow where you know big bird punches (laughs) me and i punch big bird back and till you know nick cage eventually rips their throat out or beheads them or something you know to end them but uh yeah i just would have for for being demonic supernatural beings i would have maybe liked to there were a couple things the siren sarah character with like all the shit on her mouth and the razor sharp teeth was kind of cool yeah I agree. Uh, the cami chameleon with the tongue thing uh had the character promise. designs were all cool I thought that a lot of these things that were like so close and that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why I'm so frustrated by this film. Like all the pieces of the puzzle were right there at your fingertips to do something really neat. And I think it was just, I I don't know if it was laziness or, or not understanding because you hadn't made a film in so long, you know, it's easy for us to look at this shit in hindsight. I wasn't there in Atlanta doing this stuff, but uh, you know, uh, I, all I could tell you is my experience as a listener or viewer and you know, whatever it is what it is. There you go. So as the film wraps up, like I said, Cage beats Willie to death. It's morning. The sun comes up. Tex and the tow truck driver have the fixed car. They're coming back to just confirm that uh, everything went according to plan. Tex is going to take Nick Cage's car and add it to his collection. But lo and behold, the place is clean and Nick Cage is alive. And so, but he's a man of his word. So he ends up handing the keys over. He's disappointed at first. Nick Cage and the young girl who was left standing get in the car, drive away. And then Tex and the tow truck driver are in the car disappointed, but then they're like, hey, well, if they're all dead now, then, you know, that means that we're free of this. We didn't see that for whatever reason, two of the mascots, the siren and the chameleon girl, ended up surviving. So when they were taken out to the dumpster, they actually crawled out. And as Tex and the tow truck driver are planning what they're going to do next with their lives, siren ends up blowing them up in the car and uh, puts an end to that. So... Then we see Cage and the girl, they're driving through, she has some of his punch and seems to enjoy it herself, and as they're driving we see that Mexican mascot from earlier that was beaten up in the middle of the road, and Cage drives over him, and the movie is over, and that's our 88 minutes. At least it was only 88 minutes, they didn't draw it out, I mean they knew what they had, and, and they, you know, it was a pretty tight film, it moved along pretty swiftly, 
Uh, I thought the pacing was okay. That That's nothing that I had a problem with. I never really felt like it dragged. Uh, you know, it did have those exposition dumps and whatnot, but, uh, you know, that, that those were somewhat necessary if you weren't going to give it to me in, in story. And if this was going to be the way it played out, to be honest, and, and we got the ending, I'm glad that they did the exposition dumps instead of showing. You know, usually it's show, don't tell. That's the whole movie yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time they told, don't showed. Uh, if you will, but, uh, I'm kind of glad that they just kind of wrapped it up and, and, you know, leaned heavily on the, the Nick Cage stuff and the, some of the hyper violence and, and, uh, and all of that. So yeah, they, they knew what their, their strong points were probably when they got into editing, uh, they were like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> and they, uh, you know, just kind of rolled out what they had. And, and again, uh, probably a lot of these people were just kind of hoping that it's a resume resume movie and, and they're able to build on this and go on in their careers, which by the way, I wish all of them the best of success. Well, most of them, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that there's a lot of promise in this film. Uh, I think technically, uh, as far as all the department heads, uh, I really want to see a lot of these people go on and do stuff. I'm going to be following people like Molly Coffee and, and uh, some of these other uh, people to see what they go on to do. 100%, man. 100%. So let's go ahead and wrap things up as we do with three adjectives. Ryan, give us your adjectives that describe this movie. Uh, my first one is not worth it, uh, only because of the $20 <laughs> price tag that we spent to watch this motherfucker. Yeah, it was um, a VOD gotten... for everybody listening. Yeah, right, right. I think you and I had different experiences with that, right? Didn't you say you <laughs> bought it for 15 bucks and I rented it for 20 like an asshole? Yeah, I think... Like, it... within a day of each other, we got fucked. I think I it was fucked. two days of each other, and yeah, I think it was just one of those things where you caught it on, like, the last or second to last day of its, like, $20 VOD price, and then I think there's an in-between stage where you can't rent it, but you can buy it. So I ha- I could only buy the film. I couldn't rent it. But the purchase price was 15 And it was a, it right. was a digital copy. So uh, I on own it. And you forever I'm, own Willie's one. <laughs> and I Good will probably not watch it again, to be completely honest. Yeah. Uh, My second word is aspirational. Uh, because of everything I said before, I just think that... Uh, there is a lot of promise uh, in some of these department heads, and, and there was a lot to like about this movie. Uh, I just don't think it gelled together well. Um, and my last is uh, my last is palate cleanser. Uh, this was, like Videodrome was, a cool palate cleanser. I had fun with it. Uh, in between movies like Buffalo 66 and Killing of a Chinese Bookie and uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and uh, Your Friends and Neighbors, we get these cool little... Uh, you know, fun romps like Videodrome and and uh, Willy's Wonderland, and and I'm I'm cool with that. Um, you know, it, I didn't hate this. I don't think as much as you did. Uh, but or, or maybe you didn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm, uh, we'll hear your rating here next <laughs> up. But uh, yeah, I I did enjoy it. It was fun. Um, you know, I I may have even enjoyed it a little more had I not been like taking notes and dissecting it. Maybe if I just you yes. know had a few drinks and kicked back some whiskey and uh, just went along for a cage romp. But uh, yeah. I think that there's promise here. It was a fun palate cleanser. Uh, anyone listening, don't pay to see this. Uh, definitely, it's worth watching. I, I do think that, you know, if you're sitting around bored and, and you see it for rent on Amazon Prime for free, uh, give it a go. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what people have to think about it. Um, again, it, it kind of sounds like what you and uh, Ashton had uh, experience with Guns Akimbo in a way. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways as well. So anyway, how about you, Jason? Okay, so for my three adjectives, the first one I have is vibrant, and that not only relates to the color palette, but also to the sort of vibrance of the direction, you know, Uh, like we talked about, it moves, 
It, it puts itself out there. It's got, you know, bright colors. It's got these large characters, uh, very interesting costumes and things of that nature. Um, so vibrant, the first one. Second one is confined. And at the same time, I feel like this applies to sort of the uh, direction as well, where, you know, in one respect, you know, I feel like the director, the pacing of the film is awesome. And I feel like a lot of energy was put into that pacing and to keep it really tight and moving along, but at the expense of doing more with the deaths and with the substance of what you had. And so, you know, obviously from a location point of view, we're confined in this, um, again, amusement restaurant, we'll call it, for most of the film. So, you know, we're trapped in there. But uh, again, I just felt like the deaths were confined, the fights were confined. I, I wanted to, I really... To your point earlier, it felt like a film that was kind of closed up that you just kept like you can sense that it's got something like really awesome deep in there. And if it would just like let it out and open it up like you'd get this amazing experience and you just keep right. waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and by the end of it, you're like, OK, this. Yeah, it's not coming, dude. <laughs> it doesn't have it. It's not there. Maybe they'll get it on the next one. You know, to your point, I'd, so love, close. I'd love to see what they do next and see if they can. But it, yeah. It's it's kind of that thing where it's like ah oh, you're 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 so close but you just can't just can't get there you know, and then uh, visually focused and, and kind of piggybacking off the last one I think that it spent so much of its energy I don't know if I've ever used this analogy before but I think that whether you're talking about art whether you're talking about life certainly when you're talking about a movie it's it's almost like a uh, a character creation thing in an RPG right. And you've got all these different categories. You know, you've got your agility, your dexterity, your strength. Uh, but, you know, you have to be selective about where you put them. And I feel like all of this one's energy went into the pacing, went into the visuals, right? At the expense of a lot more of the story and a lot more of the sort of creativity. So, vibrant, confined, and visually focused. Ryan, formal grade rating. What you got? Uh, I give this a C minus, um, you know, it missed the mark, but I had fun watching it and it was a cool concept. Um, I don't know that I'll ever watch it again, but if I do, I don't think I'll be mad about it. If somebody wants to see it, uh, it's just on the fence, but it was a little less than average, just a subpar film C minus. Yeah. I, you know, what's funny. I, I literally think that that gives me a better rating than you. <laughs> <laughs> which I oh, would wow. not have seen coming because I gave it an even three. That's pretty much like how I've done with these films. Like, like I felt this okay. way very much the same way that I felt about seeking a friend. Right. That's that. Yeah. That was my, that was my experience for this film. It's fine. It's, it's, it's not a meaty movie. It's better watched without your notebook, you know, with a drink or whatever in your hand. And like, don't think about it too much. Go in, enjoy, get in, get out. You know, I think it was it was a fine film, but it's not suited I very to much more enjoyed Seeking a Friend than this. Film, no, I know you did. Yeah, you you gave, I think, a B plus to Seeking a Friend, yeah. if I recall correctly. I'm just saying for me, it was a similar experience where it's like, yeah, I'm going to spend most of the show talking about the stuff I didn't like. It's not to say that it's bad. It's just that I have right. a number of criticisms about it, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Um, right. So, but, you know, uh, again, so three Especially out of five. how good it could have been. That's, That's my biggest yeah. thing. Yeah, I, I I really wanted to like this. You know, this is a movie right. I wanted to be a fives. And we talked earlier. That's probably to a degree why we came away disappointed because we did. We had such high expectations, you know? 
And five million dollars. Wow. Like, that's a lot on this film. Yeah. Uh, you almost wonder if it would have been better served, like, not having Nick Cage in it and just been a B, B film. You know what I mean? Instead of bringing the attention on itself. I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, for having him be silent, I mean, you can, you can get non speaking roles for way cheaper than Cage. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah you, you know, there, I'm sure there was some B actor they could have, you know, slapped in this and uh, had, had different results. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, well, that was our review of, and our discussion, really, more than review of Willy's Wonderland. You got your adjectives, you got your ratings, and Ryan, if I'm not mistaken, we're, we're, we're done with season one now, officially. I know, man. Uh, I know. I'm going to miss you, buddy. I'm going to pretend you're, you're not existent uh, for a while <laughs> until we get back, <laughs> get back going again. Yeah, you miss me now, and then when I come back, you're gonna be like, "Oh my god, I didn't realize how awesome those last few months were." Did you did did you did you change your voice yet? Did you work on your delivery? Yeah, yeah, but we got a lot of cool stuff uh, lined up for season two, everybody. So I'm pretty excited. We are bringing it back. It, uh, Jason has got me back under contract. The contract has been signed. Uh, yes. I'm not a free agent. <laughs> it was a difficult negotiation. Two, baby. Things were said that can't be unsaid, but you know we 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 talk about those off off air. So, yeah, I mean, as long as I don't end up in jail between now and and when we start recording again, you got me, baby. <laughs> Let's do this. Yep, and uh, to everybody listening, so one of the things that we're gonna do for you next uh, next season is uh, full length episodes are gone. I think I mentioned this on one, if not both, of the previous episodes. But moving forward, we are only going to do what we have now been up until now been calling half episodes, but are now just episodes and so we'll do one film but what you're gonna pick up is we are gonna have weekly releases that's right ladies and gentlemen no longer will you have to wait every other week to get your fill of ryan and jason talking to you about movies you've never seen or even heard of (laughs) now every week you're gonna have us we're gonna give you three films a month and then we'll talk more about it later uh, but we got some fun stuff in store for you for a uh, monthly bonus episode that is uh, a little more comedy-based, kind of like we do at the improv top of the show. Ryan, I'm really looking forward to getting that going with you. We got some fun ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be like a cool, fun monthly wrap-up. We, uh, I think we're going to uh, try to land some of our comparisons. Uh, since we won't be doing two films anymore per episode, uh, we'll land some of those comparisons in that episode as well. Uh, and, you know, do some segments like Deep Dive where we could, uh, anything we felt like we missed or we wanted to get a little deeper into about some of these films or even some things that we learned after the fact. Dude, that has happened to me multiple times where we roll these things out and you miss something key on your notes uh, that was pretty critical to the film. Uh, I'll give you one right now. We didn't even talk about the fact that our director, Kevin Lewis, had COVID-19 uh, leading up to days before uh, the release of this film and almost died. He was in ICU. Oh, wow. Um, his uh, room partner passed away. Jeez. Um, he had to like say goodbye to him, and he was like coaching him along. Uh, turns out, like uh, the weeks leading up to the release of this film was actually way more of a horror movie than the actual movie itself. So, uh, we're glad, uh, he's doing better. We wish him the best. Um, but yeah, things like that, uh, maybe not so, uh, downtrodden, but yeah, there were things like that. We'll bring to, uh, the deep dive segments and, uh, yeah, lots more comedy and improv stuff like our fake commercials and sketches that we, we, i really enjoy doing. I love uh, the sketches. They're so much nice, fun. fun little creative outlet uh, to put ourselves out there. We're going to really expand on that. So anyway, we're bringing bringing the heat. Give us a little bit here to regroup and retool. 
work the bugs out, and uh, we're coming back in your ear holes. <laughs> That's right, guys. So uh, once again, you know, thanks a lot for hanging out with us, Ryan. Uh, Twenty episodes, thirty films. We we have we have deep dived on thirty films over the course of this first season, which is awesome. And we're gonna do another thirty next season. Uh, uh, yeah, I think we'll maybe three films a month might even work out to like thirty six. I don't know, but oh, but I think we're wow. doing like a forty four week season. I don't know. Either way, we are probably gonna do about the same. So it's gonna be more uh, thirty films at least, anywhere between thirty and thirty six. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And one of the other things we're gonna do so. If you listen to the show regularly, I don't know if you guys hang around for the end where we do the random film polls. They're a lot of fun for me and Ryan, but it's also because we kind of know this list. And it occurred to us that maybe it's not as fun for you guys because you guys don't know the movies that are on the list. So, you know, you don't have those like we talk about like, oh, I can't wait for Mandy to get pulled or oh, this film, that film, you know. So what we're going to do next season as well is we're going to just lock in that list at the beginning of the season with 200 films of which we're only going to watch 30, so 15% of this list. Uh, So, you know, definitely elements of randomness there. And we're going to go ahead and put that out there for you guys so that you can sort of play along at home as well. And, you know, you can see if we end up pulling your film that you want to hear us discuss. So a lot of fun stuff. And just can't thank you guys enough for hanging out with us this whole entire first season. You know, obviously we started this in the middle of COVID and lockdown and... You know, now we're starting to come out of that and and get a little bit back to normal-ish, you know, and so I think it's, you know, it's a really, it's a, it's a really nice future that we have. We can go back to getting things done and getting out there, but in the meantime, uh, you know, it's been very significant and a lot of fun hanging out with you guys and Ryan, you know, Man, I love doing this thing cry, with you. cry, Jason. <laughs> Maybe all, get me all choked up. I'm going to have to start. Yeah, yeah, you know. Singing boys to men, end of the road. <laughs> and Ryan, you and I have been looking for something to do, uh, you know, for a long time. And, and the format that we came up with, you know, being able to do that. Uh, again, for those people that listen, uh, Ryan lives in Tampa, Florida. And I am in uh, Los Angeles, California. So we are on opposite sides of the country. So it's, it's it's you know, we don't get to work on film projects or, you know, do any of this stuff together in person. I am federally person, so. mandated uh, to stay that far away from the great state of California. <laughs> I'm not allowed to ever go back. Uh, they've banished me to Florida. This I am now Florida man. It, it, it also <laughs> relates to the same reason he has to uh, knock on doors when he moves to a new neighborhood and introduce himself. We'll let you figure not it out from there. just saying hello. <laughs> yeah, got, got a card to give you. <laughs> But yeah, so Ryan, being able to do this with you has been awesome. Listeners, being able to do this with you has been awesome. And we hope that you've enjoyed it too. And and once again, you know, I know that uh, sometimes it can be, you know, you feel like, uh, what do I have to say to people? Please reach out. Just hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, email. We, we love to hear from you. We want to interact. We want to know what you guys want to see. We want to bring you the show that you want to listen to, you know, in, a make, in addition to making the show that we want to make. So once again, from me, really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Jason, and thank I you, actually, Ryan. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a letter here from one of our listeners who oh, uh, shit. who has chimed in recently. Yeah, they, they, they sent me a private, private message on Twitter saying uh, that, uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to get rid of you as the host. <laughs> I wanted to let you know off air, but since we're bringing it up now, they, uh, they've asked us to bring in Javon as our permanent host. <laughs> uh, and, and Jason, uh, I'm sorry. It's been a fun run, though. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm just surprised. Did we get great times with you? Did we get corporate backing? And, and I just don't know it because I've been over here working my ass off. Like, if we have corporate uh, backing, you know, I want to schlep some of this stuff off to people. 
I don't know how to tell you this, but we did not get anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got all of it. Ah, uh, you bastard. Well, yep. take care of my baby, Ryan. Take care of it. Although we've come <laughs> to the end of season one. <laughs> For copyright uh, purposes, I cannot keep the name Oh, man. All right, dude. Well, hey, again, it's been a lot of fun. Listeners, it's been a lot of fun. Ryan, really enjoyed season one of doing Esoterica Cinema with you. We will be back in a few months, guys. You got to give us some time, but I promise you we're going to have an awesome, awesome show for you. Season two is going to be better than season one. In the meantime, if you haven't listened to all the episodes, go back, dude. And it's a trip. If you're listening to this, go back and listen to the first couple episodes. Uh, yeah. It's hot garbage. <laughs> it is hot garbage. We don't. Uh, yeah, it is. It's, it's not. It's not strong. But you know what? It's like a. It's like a really strong demo tape, right? You will see right. what we will blossom into. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, it's like if you could go back and watch videotape of the first time you fucked. Like that. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> Awkward at all. And just at all. Slugging your way through it. I mean, you're fucking. So hey, you know, but. <laughs> Not not something you want to repeat. You've definitely built on that performance, <laughs> I would hope. Uh, or else you're sweet back. Absolutely. So, guys, thanks so much for hanging out with us on this episode and all the other episodes of Esoterica Cinema. We cannot wait to see you guys again in a few months. We'll see you next time. Have a wonderful, season beautiful two, day. Season two, Chet Hanks, White Boy Summer. Let's do this. We will see you for season two. <laughs> hey, kids. It's time to get crazy with your bestest buddy in the world, me, Charles Cheesy. I've got a real easy dance that anyone can do. Even the painfully awkward kid who's clearly not going to get laid until he's 32. Are you ready? Check it out. Well, I've got an easy dance that anyone can do. It may look kind of cute, but you'll think different soon. It's really very simple, as you can see. Just take an axe and hack your parents' legs at the knee. All the blood. All the gore. It's extra satisfying to be murderous. If people tell you otherwise, they're just jealous. You like that, Dad? You like that, Mom? What are you doing? Send me to bed early, will you? (laughs) Take an axe. Grab your folks. Hack their legs. Party time! Severed limbs. Sliced up organs. Feast of blood. Party time! We're animated robots all programmed to kill. We feast upon entrails, it gives us a thrill. We'd like to share our murderous intent with you. Now grab that axe and show us all what you can do. Charles Cheesies, we're criminally insane! From the imagination of acclaimed author Ashton McCauley comes the next great American anti-hero. Nick Ventner in Whiteout. Nick is a bit of a lush, preferring whiskey to water and bar hopping to exercise. But when a mysterious benefactor hires Nick to find the lost gates of Shangri-La, Nick sobers up just enough to take on the case. Featuring non-stop action and a hilarious wit, Whiteout by Ashton McCauley 
is a laugh-a-minute thrill ride that will keep you turning the pages until the very end. Whiteout, available now in ebook, hardcover, and paperback versions, online and everywhere books are sold. Published by Aberrant Literature.